We're reading Paul's friendliest letter, and today the parchment is sprinkled with tears of passion, concern, and care. I like what Frederick Buechner says about Paul's relentless writing habits. Whenever Paul had ten minutes to spare, he wrote letters. He bullied, he coaxed, he comforted, he bared his soul, he reminisced. He complained, he theologized, he inspired, he exulted. Punch drunk and Christ drunk, he kept in touch with everybody. In today's paragraphs, Paul dreams, he calls out, he calls up. Even in the confines of prison, in his mind's eye, he ventures towards what lies ahead, what lies outside the walls of his incarceration. He imagines a race with a prize, but it's not an Olympic medal or a wreath of laurels. It's a race. He strains, he presses forward with Christ at the lead. This Christ who catapults him forward into a glorious future where peace and grace abound, where his shackles and chains will be no more. So he writes to his dear Philippian friends with persistence and hope. He says, if we imagine this future with God's glory and Christ's reign ahead of us, if we imagine that future, it will mature us as human beings, as Christ followers. We can have the mind of Christ. And even in times when we seem to be at odds with one another, God will continue to work amongst us. God's Spirit uniting us, drawing us in, and revealing God's holy game plan for us. So hold fast, sisters. Hold fast, brothers. God, who has began a good work, will be faithful to bring it to completion by the day of Christ Jesus. So he talks of this race, and I'm not a sprinter or a runner, so I'm grateful that Paul kind of turns a corner here. He moves from perspiration to imitation. Sisters and brothers, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. It's this rallying cry urging us to all pull in the same direction. And for this small church in Philippi, Paul would have been inviting his colleagues that he even names in this letter. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Syntyche, Euodia, Lydia, Paul in unison. And these are inspirational words that echo down the corridors of faith to us in this room, in this community of faith that's watching today. These inspirational words that are Paul's grand reminder that the good news message, though always saturated with grace upon grace upon grace, also gives us a good and holy work to do. Paul says, imitate me. Because Paul apparently believed that the church in Philippi was a imitate me or a imitate us kind of church. And I really like Paul's what I'm going to call healthy Christian, uh, healthy Christian esteem. Perhaps you've met those Christians who are so kind of dualistic or down on themselves that 
whenever you give them a compliment like, hey, I really like the gift of compassion or care, they say, oh, no, 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 it's not me. I am but a vessel. And God is simply working through me. But that's not Paul's attitude, is it? He's got this healthy Christ esteem, and I like it. He says, imitate me. And we know from Paul's other writings that he's not trying to be cocky or pompous here, though just a few sentences back in this letter, it is interesting to note how he goes over his resume, and it's pretty outstanding. (laughs) But we know that Paul ultimately is radically and fantastically in love with Jesus. He's filled with the joy of Jesus. And his life's vocation from that moment in time when he was rocked off his horse and was a Christian killer, he was transformed. He was transfigured. His mind was blown. And now his goal and his destiny and every energy and every calorie that he expends is to go across towns and cities all across the Mediterranean world and to invite others and to encourage others to love Jesus, to be enthralled by the joy of this living Christ so that all Christ followers might think and run and live as Jesus did. So Paul invites the church and us to imitate him. What does his imitation look like? Well, you step back a couple of sentences and Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in death so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so he encourages this church. We want to know Christ. If somehow we might attain to the resurrection from the dead. It's this journey of conforming to Christ's death, suffering together, and in the midst of that suffering, encountering this living Christ who abides with us. And as we pursue this way of life, we too can be those who are imitated. And again, I point out that Paul's not just saying imitate me, But he's talking about his colleagues, Lydia, Syneche, Timothy, Epaphroditus. He's saying, imitate us. But then Paul also has these tearful phrases in today's part of the letter. His heart breaks as he names community members who were once insiders, but now have become enemies of the way of Jesus. Don't imitate these people. They've lost their way. They've bailed off the racetrack. They've traded in their cross for comforts. And it's a warning for us to pause as well. Paul writes, their end is destruction. Their God is their gut. Their glory is their shame. Their minds set on earthly things. Now these four words, end, God, glory, minds, are not terrible words in themselves. But when these ways or these words are influenced or possessed by the ways and the powers and the forces of the world that then are bent on destruction or greed or nihilism, it makes these people move in the exact opposite way of Jesus. They become enemies of the cross. 
And so I would encourage us maybe to pause with these phrases today. I suspect that if you're in this sanctuary or you've decided to watch this worship service online, I can't imagine that you would call yourself an enemy of the cross. But I would remind us that these people were once insiders. And so that's why Paul's heart breaks with tears as he writes these sentences. And so maybe it makes us pause and just think, Lord, are there places where the ways of the world have been creeping in? Because we all know that forces dehumanize and suck the life out of us every day in this world that we live in. And so that's why we worship together as a community of faith. That's why we need each other as brothers and sisters in this journey. So that Christ and Christ's mind might be formed in us. So that we might guide each other and guard one another and shield each other from the ways of the world. We pray every Sunday, O God, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. So we look around us and we say, brother, sister, co-journeyer in the faith, help me keep this Jesus state of mind. Or as Paul would say, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Say that to someone near you. Or if you're on your own, maybe pray it or text it, or email it, or even group chat it in our YouTube chat today, say something like, make my joy complete. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's try that. Even, even us. Turn to someone near you. Make my joy complete. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or maybe text it to someone or Put it in the live chat. Make my joy complete. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need each other. We need to be mentoring voices to each other. We need to be intergenerational voices. The young speaking to the old. The old speaking to the young. Make my joy complete. Let us be of the same mind as our Lord Christ Jesus. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I read one um, idea this past week that called this church in Philippi a Christian community that was an outpost of heaven. What a great image, the church being the outpost of heaven. And that's what we pray for our church, and we pray for the Church of Edmonton at large, that when people look at the church or when they experience what the church is doing or saying or being in our city, does it feel like an outpost of heaven? Paul prays what this outpost might look like. 
And I want to reiterate this prayer that we heard a couple weeks ago from chapter 1. I'm reading the message translation, and I think we're going to see this posted on the screen as well in the YouTube uh, view. Paul writes, this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. I'd encourage you to carry that prayer with you this week. We're going to spend two more weeks in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 for two more weeks. So carry that prayer with you. It's so rich. And it'll help us be imitators of Christ who are worthy of being imitated of in our local community of faith. Paul's section today ends in doxology, glory and praise. And if you read through the whole letter of Philippians, you'll notice these times when he bursts into Christ hymns. As I was saying earlier, Christ, uh, Paul was having his mind perpetually blown by the presence of this living Christ who is transforming his body, heart, mind, and soul. And so again, in the last two verses of today's reading, verse 20 and 21, Paul bursts into this Christ hymn. And let's use this Christ hymn as another way for us to prepare our way to the table of the Lord today. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior Jesus, who will transform our humble body to conform to his glorious body, in accord with his power by which he is able also to subdue all things to himself. O Christ, living Christ, transform us, we pray.